I encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 10. And I'm going to read Daniel chapter 10 before Julie comes to speak with us. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Belshazzar? Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius... Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Thanks, Julie. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you here today, and it's, um, it's a privilege to be sharing with you this morning from the book of Daniel, and particularly Daniel chapter 10, which is, look, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 can't be separated, okay? They're, they're one long prophecy, but this would be long, one long morning if we did all of that <laughs> um, and one long afternoon. So um, looking at chapter 10, because I've been stirred, particularly in chapter 10, 
about Daniel and his encounter with this man and the things that we can learn about him that are particularly, I believe, relevant to be emphasized right now, right now. Whenever there's a war in Israel, it's like a trumpet blast going off. You know, we blow the trumpet uh, at trumpets, and and the trumpet for Israel means, uh, you know, several different things, but one of the things that it definitely means is get ready for war or danger, gather the people, or uh, uh, these kinds of things. It is a warning to us when we're watching Israel, and if you want to know what season it is in the earth... Right? And we are supposed to be people who understand the times and seasons. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. We want to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So that's in First Chronicles 12.32 in case you've forgotten about that verse. Uh, so we want to be a people of understanding. For us, Wayne and I, being in Israel at a time of war, certainly has intensified the sound of that trumpet in our hearts, in our spirits. I believe, as I said, this chapter, in fact, this whole prophecy, has particular relevance in terms of understanding the season. Uh, Before we went away, I I had uh, uh, assigned the interns their reading and their work to do, Um, while I was gone, and we're actually studying the book of Daniel at the moment, uh, this term, and they were in chapters 10, 11, and 12, Um, and and so they started that uh, before I returned, and we've continued, in fact, we're not finished, but we have continued to discuss these three chapters in, in quite a lot of detail, and it's been very exciting and very sobering at the same time. How many of you appreciated the readings, the daily readings um, in the, yep, yeah, that's it, in the, in the time in the Sukkot, Sacred Assembly and during the festival? Yes, thank you. They were from the book of Daniel by a man called Andrew Tam. We, got his, we asked for his permission to use them. And I just want to highlight something that he said. He said, this book shows us a prototype of a person of understanding, which is Daniel and provides a template for how to pursue understanding. Then he went, went on and talked about the fact that Daniel chapter 1, which we're very familiar with, and can I say that most people are, are much more familiar with Daniel chapter 1 to 6 than they are 7 to 12. Okay, <laughs> gets a bit trickier from 7 onwards because it's the visions and the interpretations. It's the prophetic stuff. It's the stuff that hasn't, well, wasn't fulfilled um, certainly in Daniel's time, it was all looking future. But chapter 1 to 6, you've got the historical account of Daniel in Babylon. And chapter 1 closes with God giving Daniel the gift of understanding, right? Be- because why? Did, because Daniel chose to fear God. He made decisions. He risked, risked his life by choosing not to defile himself with the food in Nebuchadnezzar's court, right? He could have had, I mean, he could have been gone, finished. Nebuchadnezzar, we often forget this. He was a crazy despot dictator. 
He was not, you don't conquer empires without being a crazy despot dictator like he was and doing the things that he did. So Daniel is rewarded at the end of chapter 1 and he's given understanding, wisdom, revelation, understanding and, and he's also given the ability to understand and interpret dreams. Fast forward to chapter 12, we're told that a people of understanding, not just one man, a people of understanding, they're going to emerge at the end of the age, who will shine like the brightness of the heavens and lead many to righteousness. Isn't that, that's exciting. I find that exciting. That means that the same spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding that was given to Daniel is active and increasingly active in the earth. The question is, are we pursuing that? And what will it cost us? Or what does it take? What does it involve? This is why Daniel's life is so important to know and, and to study and to let God speak to us. I don't believe we're all destined to be Daniels, obviously. <laughs> he was a very unique man, went to very high places in the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Persia, suffered many things and held strong in his faith. That's something to aspire to. But whatever sphere of influence God's given us, he wants to give understanding. He wants to be known. He wants you to have personal insight as to what he's doing in the earth. So let's start. Lauren's just read this, um, this whole chapter to us and we're, we're really just going to go back over it again. So, do you have Bibles? Hold up, your, hold up your swords for me. Let me see. Fantastic. I'm, 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 I'm longing for the day when every sword is a hard copy of the Bible. <laughs> so when you see in the news that I'm preaching, can you do me a favor? <laughs> Drag out your hard copy. All right. That tells me. You're not looking at notifications on your phone, getting distracted by anything else, and there's a separation between that life and this life in a good way. There's no separation, but in a good way. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's go. Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Yes, that's correct, Lauren, as opposed to Belshazzar. Who was he? Babylonian king, the last one. You remember the Mene, Mene, Tikkeb? Oh, yeah, don't want to remember that. That was his last gig, right? That was it, the finish of Belshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, we're being given a lot of information right here. First of all, what's the first bit? Yeah, okay, Cyrus is the king of Persia and it's in his third year. Very important to understand that. Cyrus was the king of Persia 
when Persia conquered Babylon. Who knows what year that was? Wild guess. Approximately 539 BC. Is that what you're saying? I heard it. I'm sure. 539 BC was when Persia, Medo-Persian kingdom, right? The Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon. Now, this is going to, the thing I'm going to tell you right now is really going to help you in terms of the chronological understanding of this book and what's going on. So Cyrus is, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. He's mentioned by one of Israel's prophets. Who is it? Isaiah. Thank you. very. Who said that? Well done. He is mentioned by Isaiah, and I'm quite sure that Daniel makes a point of showing Cyrus. He does, because we know that Cyrus takes great joy in fulfilling that prophecy. So here's Cyrus, three years in. Mind you, he's been the king of Persia for longer, but now he's the king over the whole kingdom because when the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, Darius the Mede... Remember him? Darius the Mede was placed in charge of Babylon. So on the slide here, you can see there's a good reason for that because Persia's over here and Babylon's over there. It's about 320 kilometers. And so Cyrus appoints Darius the Mede to be basically the king or the governor, the ruler of Babylon. And that's why Darius the Mede is referenced, right, in chapter 5. It's important for you to know that Daniel is not arranged chronologically. Did you know that? Okay. So when you see Darius the Mede and you will see his name, think right back at the beginning when they conquered. You know that bit's not in chronological order. When you see Cyrus, it's a little bit later because Cyrus, uh, Darius does not reign for long. Barely two years. So Cyrus is the king here. If you go back to chapter 9, it's important for me um, to just bring, bring this in here. Um, chapter 9, the previous chapter, this occurs during whose reign? Darius the Mede. So this is 539 because this is the first year of his reign. And um, Daniel has been reading Jeremiah's prophecy How do you know he's been reading Jeremiah's prophecy? It says. (laughs) It says so in the text. He's been reading Jeremiah's prophecy. You'll find that in Jeremiah chapter 25. You'll also find it in Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in chapter 29. He quotes this word that the Lord gave him. 70 years you'll be in Babylon. Right? So, first year of Darius, 539... Sam, you're a mathematician, I know you are. Approximately how old do you think Daniel is? Okay, so five, you can, I'll give you two minutes. I'll give you two minutes to work on that. 539 BC, Darius is the king, right? 605, Daniel's gone to Babylon in the first lot and he's about 15. So Sam, about how old is he? Okay. Anyone have any ideas? Hey? Thank you, Noah. That's it. That's it. Well done. 85 years old. You can work that out later. Noah worked it out. Well done. 
<laughs> which means he's been faithful to God for almost 70 years because he was about 15 years when he went. That's an incredible statement, actually, that he's been faithful to God for almost 70 years in Babylon. Oh, yeah, that's one of the reasons that it's an incredible statement because it's in a pagan nation, right? And he's been subjected to Nebuchadnezzar's standards, rules, and commands. We know that he worked in the court. He stayed in the king's palace. And there's references in scripture to the fact that he was a eunuch. In other words, he became a eunuch. Against his will, I'm sure. He found favor, not only in God's sight, but with these kings of empires. He found favor. He was raised to the highest places. Would that go to your head? Give him power and authority, second in line to the king. Or, or in the case of Darius, when he came in, he made him one of the, the sort of the top three go, um, governors and placed 120 satraps or governors over smaller provinces under him. For some, for some people, you know, you'd start to be trusting in your own ability and the fact that you've, you know, you're smart, you're intelligent, you've made, made it all the way to the top. But that's not Daniel. He continues to place God above everything. He continues to risk his life. And we know that in the first year of Darius, that was when the whole Daniel and the lion's den that everybody knows about, that's when that happened. Because they didn't like that, the ones under him. And they schemed to get rid of him. So he knows what it is to be a foreigner. He's a Jew in the courts of a Gentile pagan king. But he also saw kings come to the place where they acknowledged that Daniel's God was the God above God. Do you know what I'm saying? That's incredible because of Daniel's influence, because Daniel was there at such a time as that. Daniel was also given three significant visions with significant messages with significant revelation, prophetic scriptures that we look back on now all the time. He was given those. He was also told by Gabriel and Jesus that he's highly esteemed. He stays a humble man throughout his lifetime. And the last thing we hear from Daniel when he's close to 90, that's, that's it. He stayed a humble man. I was thinking to myself this week when he was thrown, thinking about when he was thrown into the lion's den, I was like, I think he was pretty scrawny. I don't think the lions looked at him and thought, oh, this is good food. Because <laughs> he was always fasting and praying, right? It's true. But we know that that's not why the lions <laughs> didn't touch him. Because God was with him. So here we go. The third year of King Cyrus, a revelation was given. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. Now there was a war coming. It was a little way off yet, 
But there was a war coming. And if you go to the end of the chapter, we know who the war was against. Who was the war against? Greece. Yavan. Okay? Your, your translation might say Yavan. That means Greece. The war was against Greece. And it was in 332 BC. So there's a great war coming. But then as you go through this prophecy, prophecy you realize it flicks between the near prophecy, which is, you know, it's coming not too far away, becomes a far prophecy. And we're taken all the way to the end of the age. Okay? This is what happens in this prophecy the detail of it, which we're not going to go into today. So we have, um, you can see the on the map, you saw the distances, right? You saw where Jerusalem was. You can see where Babylon is. The location, see that red squiggle? That's the Tigris River, all right? So somewhere close to Babylon, not too far away. Daniel's out there with some friends. He's perhaps gone for a day out, a break from the office, and uh, they are out there by the Tigris River. Verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until three weeks were over. Now, you could be confused when you read this. At that time, I, Daniel, he's entered into a 21-day fast, you might be thinking, oh, was it after he saw this vision? But then when you go to verse 4 and you read on, we see that the man, the vision of the man appears and the message unfolds in response to Daniel's prayer and fasting and mourning. Okay, so I just want to make that point there. We see Daniel in this pattern, this extended time of mourning, prayer, and fasting. And as I said, he's, he's already been in chapter 9. There's been this great prophecy has been unveiled to him. But it's interesting in chapter 9 because when he gets the prophecy of the 70 weeks, there's not like this clear, detailed interpretation. But what's clear is that there's still a long time before the final restoration of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. So he's left with this because he's thinking we're nearly 70 years. Yay, my job is done. Because, you know, when he goes into that time of prayer, he's thinking 70 years is nearly up the prophecy, but my people aren't ready. I believe this is what's going on because you, you pick up that tone from the book of Ezra. In the third, in the first year of the king of Cyrus, he proclaims the edict allowing the first lot to return from Babylon, that is the Jews, from Babylon to Jerusalem. Daniel's probably had a bit of feedback and it's not going well for that first group. So in the third year, he's thinking about the prophecy of the 70 weeks. He's thinking about it's not going particularly well. He's thinking, I know there's much more trouble coming. And what does he do? He sets his face. He gets down on his hands and knees. He begins to mourn and fast and pray. And we're told that his quest to gain greater understanding 
is heard. And that's why he has sent the message, the prophecy that unfolds in Daniel chapter 11 and finishes in 12. It's a great example, isn't it? You see here, see Daniel, Daniel is both functioning, you know, he's been set up in, in, in almost a kingly role in Babylon, but he's functioning as a high priest, as an intercessor, one who takes on the burden of his people. And he's also clearly a prophet because God has given him prophetic messages. He's functioning in this threefold um, role, if you like. Daniel grew in this way. It wasn't given to him in chapter 1. Every time he responded, every time, as he faithfully, we know his practice was three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening, he would be on his knees praying. We know he studied the prophetic scriptures. We know he was studying the prophecies of Jeremiah when he realized it was almost 70 years. And now he's asking in chapter 10 for greater understanding. Why do you think he wants greater understanding? Just have a think about that for a minute. Why does he want greater understanding? Sorry? So that he can, he can see more, he can understand more. If he sees and understands more, what can he do? Intercede. Sorry, Susie, I didn't hear that. Intercede, yes. He can intercede. In the pattern of Moses, right? In the pattern of Moses and others. But Moses, the father of Israel, you know, the one who led them out of Egypt, in his pattern. How many times did Moses pray that the Lord wouldn't destroy the Jews? This nation, stiff-necked nation, how many times, you know, I mean, he did. He would be the one saying to the people, Oh, you stiff-necked people. And then he'd run back to God and say, God have mercy. You cannot destroy them. If you destroy them, what will the people in the surrounding nations say? And God loved that about Moses. And he didn't destroy them. So Daniel wants to know because he wants to understand. Verse 7. Oh, no, verse 4, sorry. On the 24th day of the first month. What is the first month? First month of the Hebrew calendar is? Okay. In this context, it's Nisan. Okay. Head of the year is the first of Tishri. The religious festival, the head of the religious year is Nisan. What happens in Nisan? Passover. Okay, so Daniel, in, in the first month, in the first month, he is celebrating Passover and he's burdened. Instead, he's fasting and praying, an extended time of mourning and fasting. He's standing on the bank of the great river and he looks up suddenly. 
He's not even necessarily expecting this. He looks up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Who is this? Yes, come on, say it a bit louder. How do you know? Okay, let's just go straight to Revelation 1 because this is almost exactly the same description of Jesus in Revelation 1 verses 13 to 15. You can cross-check it. It's amazing. And in fact, the sequence of events is very similar except that it's John in Revelation chapter 1 and not Daniel. You, You can look at that. Now, Some people believe, look, scholars, and I want to say right here very carefully that many scholars believe that it's Gabriel. There are some scholars who believe that it's Jesus, and then at verse 10 it becomes Gabriel. Can I just ask, for those of you who've studied this, this chapter, why do you think that would be so when this is clearly a description of the glorified Christ? There's an elephant in the room here. Do you know what it is? Verse 13. What does verse 13 say? But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So let me read what's coming in between here. He sees this vision. He says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Have you ever felt the atmosphere change such that you went, oh, well, this is what happened, but times that by a (laughs) hundred, a thousand probably, and they fled in terror, although they didn't even see the vision. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. Well, he's been fasting. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground, just like John, just like Abraham. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind, here it is, to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Note to self, this is very good indeed. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, the king of Persia here does not mean Cyrus. It means the demonic principality over the kingdom of Persia. Right. So this is the problem. Can you see the problem? What is the problem? Right. Some of, your version, some of your translations might say, he stood before me. The prince of Persia stood before me 21 days. He obstructed. He, he detained. 
There was something going on, no doubt, conversation. There was something going on. He resisted me 21 days. If this is Jesus, why was he detained? How could he be detained by the demonic principality of Persia for 21 days? And hence, this is why scholars believe that this whole, this man from beginning to end is Gabriel. We have to remember, though, that Gabriel has appeared twice to Daniel already in two previous visions, hasn't he? Yeah. Chapter 8 and chapter 9. Daniel knows who Gabriel is. You know what I'm saying. He's seen him twice and apparently looked the same. (laughs) This one, this man does look, he doesn't look anything like Gabriel. How many of you would agree with this statement? God's ways are not our ways and God's timing is not our timing. Yes, yes, that's biblical, right? We don't understand everything and we don't understand his timing. We clearly don't because we struggle with that a lot of the time. If we say that this can't be Jesus because Jesus is God and therefore more powerful than the prince of Persia, Our presupposition is that Jesus would have belted the living daylights out of this principality rather than allowed himself to be detained. Is that right? That's our supposition. That's our presupposition. But what if Jesus didn't want to engage him at that time in any kind of a battle? Is there precedent in the Bible for this? Some of you saying, yeah. What's the big one? What's the big one? No, I'm not thinking of that. Jesus. We're thinking Jesus. When is a time when Jesus restrained himself because it wasn't at the cross? Remember the cross. After Jesus lops the ear off the high priest servant, you remember that in the garden of, uh, sorry, Peter, sorry, not, oh, not Jesus, no, sorry. Peter lops the ear off the servant of the high priest in the garden. Jesus turns to him and says, put down your sword. Chapter 26, 53 and 54. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? That's interesting, isn't it? You see, we just automatically make it a a power issue, you know, like those cartoons, kapow, gone, obliterated, never to see Persia again. That's just not the way Jesus functions, is it? Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting to him. Two different seasons, two different functions in those seasons. Where else does it say stuff like this in the scripture? Anything else come to your mind? 
When did Jesus say, I'll give you a clue. My hour has not yet come. Hey? Wedding. Thank you. Wedding of Cana. Well, now we know. He then goes on and does it. But that's what he said to Mary. What else? Right. Yes. Nazareth. Mount Precipice. (laughs) Right? They tried to kill him there, throw him off this cliff. If you threw a man off that cliff, he would not be in good shape. It wasn't his time. What about Galatians 4.4 when Paul says, but when the time had finally come, what happened? God sent his son. Remember? In the fullness of time, it says elsewhere. In the fullness of time, when the time had finally come. What about... Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis fifteen sixteen. God's uh, Moses says, but th- this is God. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure, which means no kapow. A long time before there's kapow, and who brings the kapow? Israel. They are given the commandments to go in and deal with it 100% and bring judgment on those living wicked nations without repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Wicked nations without repentance. What do you think God was doing for 400 years? Do you think he was seeking to intervene? in those nations because his heart has never changed and he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to the knowledge of him, to repentance and faith in Jesus. This is challenging, isn't it? Right? But look, we we know these scriptures. What about Acts 17.26? From one man, says Paul, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Very specific. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Are you starting to see God's heart? You see... The issue is not power. God could do that big anytime. Anytime. It's not an issue of power. So what is it an issue of? There's a divine plan unfolding to reveal the beauty of the God-man Jesus Christ while contending for the hearts of humanity. Does that make sense? And so I put to you that there's no contradiction here in Daniel chapter 10 that this is Jesus. But you see, in the divine council, there, there's legal rights and authorities and boundaries, right? 
We know that because we know that the accuser went and spoke to God about Job. And a conversation was had and God simply put boundaries around that. So in the divine council, there's conversation. And I think the prince of Persia, who was given authority, this is the demonic principality of Persia, who was given authority over that land, is saying to Jesus, what are you doing here? This isn't your nation. Your nation is Israel. Does this make sense? Can you, can you envisage this? And they're having this conversation. And God's saying, but have you seen, have you seen, have you seen Daniel? <laughs> have you seen him? Yes, but you're not going to him. 21 days. And then I just imagine Jesus at some point saying, Michael, come here. <laughs> you can do the kapow. Does that make sense? I can see that happening. And then Jesus is right there. And he unfolds an incredibly detailed prophetic message to Daniel. Just like he unfolded the messages to the churches in Revelation. And in fact, much of that vision as well. Well, it was all from Jesus. It's just sometimes there were angels involved. What do we learn from this? I think sometimes when we just shift our perspective and our lens and we look at it, oh, suddenly other things come into focus, right? What are some of the things that you're going, well, if that... That must mean. I wonder what they are. And the question I'm always asking myself is, Lord, what are we seeing here? Because it's quite incredible. It's quite incredible. A, that not only Gabriel in the earlier visions, but now Jesus come when Daniel lifts his voice to gain understanding, when he humbles himself with prayer and fasting and mourning with tears because his heart is for the people of the covenant. Wow. I want my heart to be like that. I want my voice to be heard. I want to pray with understanding. And when I don't understand, I want to be one who presses in for understanding. Understanding that God loves to give understanding. But you see, if you think that that's not how God relates to us, there's no point. And I think that's what we see here in Daniel chapter 10. This is a tremendous picture of how what's going on, we sang on earth as it is in heaven, right? What's happening? What's going on 
in the earth is impacting what's going on in the heavens, and then the heavens respond. It's powerful, isn't it? But it doesn't just kind of, you know, when I, like, I kind of going along with life and then suddenly I'm like, oh, I better shoot up a, you know, a, like a 60 second prayer because I haven't prayed for three days. That's, that, 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 that lifestyle doesn't have the same weight as Daniel's. So the question is, if we see these things and we see the way the spirit realm and the earthly realm interact. And we're watching what's going on right now in the land of Israel because we know that ultimately these, look, these forecasts, these prophecies relate to Israel. You realize that? When we read this, don't try and fit Australia into them per se. It's a prophecy about Israel, and yes, there are other nations involved, but he's been given messages about Israel. And I want to say, I think the Prince of Persia probably didn't want those messages to come through. And they are for us to lay hold of and to press into understanding. Because at the end of this book, at the end of this prophecy in Daniel chapter 12, there are a few profound things said, right? That's where it is said that a people will emerge of understanding. It says that the wise will shine like stars in the heavens at that time. Now, remember, Daniel is heading towards 90 and he has applied himself for years, he was learning this stuff before he went into Babylon. He continued to study the prophetic scriptures. He continued to grow as a man in wisdom and, and understanding with favor because of the giftings God gave to him because he had a fear of the Lord. Okay, let us not think that we can demand that God answer us on the issues that we think he ought to. No, Daniel humbled himself reverently before God. God heard him and God responded. How then should we live? I want to come back to that issue one um, of, of this being Jesus and not Gabriel, because at the end of Daniel chapter 10, he says to Daniel, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. Oh, he can fight. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. Oh, yeah, that's right. 334 BC, Alexander the Great conquered Persia. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth, but I've got a message to give you. Brackets, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Against who? The demonic princes, right? And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, this is the person speaking, Jesus, I took my stand to support and protect Michael. Ooh. You see, I don't think it's Gabriel. How then should we live? That's, that's the issue this morning. How then should we live?
as we're looking at this. We're not even looking at the prophecy. We're looking at this chapter. Daniel's life teaches us how to posture our lives to receive wisdom and understanding. That God is looking for men and women who will partner with him and prioritize understanding so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It teaches us that the prayers of righteous people with understanding move things in the heavenly realm. So let's move to that next slide. Posturing our hearts, posturing our lives to receive wisdom and understanding. There's some good scriptures to meditate on. They fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 25.14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Number two, prioritize understanding so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 106.23, so he, that is God in this context, said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Ezekiel 22.30, God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. And Isaiah 6, this one came to my mind as well because Isaiah is listening in. He's seen this vision and he's listening to this conversation that's happening, I believe, in the divine council. You know, who will we send? Who, who, who will go for us? And he goes, I will go. I will go. And he says, how long? How long? You know, well, I need to preach this message and basically the answer is they're never going to turn. But you're going to preach all your days. They're going to be deaf. Their eyes are going to be closed to it. Heart's hard. But Isaiah, you go for us. Number three. Sorry, number four. Believe that our hearts, when they're aligned with God's, move things in the heavenly realm. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Revelation 8.3-5, this one you may not have thought of immediately, but I think of this one all the time when I think of things being moved powerfully in the heavenly realms in response to prayer. Start of this chapter the angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand and then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth and there came peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and an earthquake you see that? The prayers going up. Incense, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people. The end result, a judgment is hurled to the earth. How then shall we live? 
Peter answers this, actually. There's a, there's a scripture, Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How then should we live? He talks about living holy lives. And somehow, maybe, perhaps, we can hasten the day of his coming. You see, Peter understands what's going on here. Peter understands this threefold thing that's, that, that's happening, that it's not a power issue. It's a divine plan unfolding. There are times and seasons, boundaries of peoples and lands. God is unfolding it so that when the earth is most populous and the most people have the chance to respond to the gospel, right? It's going to happen. And... The revelation of who Jesus is, the revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, it's going to be seen. He's not coming back as Jesus meek and mild. The power, he's qualified to release judgments. He's qualified now, having restrained his power, he is qualified at the end of age to ride forth, Psalm 45, ride forth, mighty warrior, gird your sword upon your side, ride out victoriously on behalf, on behalf of truth, justice, and humility. Let the arrows, arrows, authority, his judgment as he rides and he rescues, he delivers who are the ones, first of all, who are waiting for him? Who are the ones who are first of all waiting for him? To the Jew first and then the Gentile. Where is he going to ride in? Where is he going to deal with his enemies? It's Jerusalem. It's the battle over Jerusalem. Because if you read Zechariah's prophecy, they are about to be destroyed. They are surrounded by the armies of the north. And Jesus says he comes to bring deliverance. That's exactly what he comes to do. And we know that sometime just before that, there's going to be, I'm not talking seven years before that, I'm talking just before that, there's going to be the sound of a trumpet blast and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, those of us who are still alive, who belong to him. And when he rides, he rides with the armies of heaven. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Some of you are looking like, yeah, I can't wait. Now is the time to get oil. You don't get it in a day. You don't get it in a year. You don't even get it in five years, people. Get ready. What's happening in Israel right now? is a very loud and clear trumpet blast. And as Jesus often said, let those who have ears hear. Amen.